You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Good morning, Calvary. How's everybody doing today? All right. All right, guys. I am so happy that you are here. My name is Alex. I am the Connections Pastor here. In case you were wondering who that uh, young man was that was leading us in worship, that's Pastor Bob, our, our senior pastor. Let's give it up for Pastor Bob. Many of you may not know this, but um, when Calvary first opens it, opened its doors almost 22 years ago, it wasn't these doors. It was the doors of a uh, conference room in a courtyard by Marriott. And uh, leading worship at the time was Pastor Bob, and he'd play his guitar and sing. He'd be done, turn around, put his guitar down, and welcome everybody and begin uh, to preach. He did it all back then, so I know he appreciates the opportunity to do it every once in a while here when, when Pastor George uh, lets him. But um, I am happy to be here with you, uh, with you guys. Happy 4th of July weekend, everyone. Um, yes. Looking forward to it. Uh, before we start, I just want to have a little 4th of July fun. Um, I'm a lover of all things, uh, you know, interesting, non-interesting, unimportant facts. Uh, so I just wanted to share some 4th of July statistics with you. So as we prepare to celebrate uh, America's birthday tomorrow, um, talk a little bit about how we're going to celebrate. It is thought that we're going to spend about $7.7 .7 billion on 4th of July food. Uh, we will eat... 150 million hot dogs, all right? Some of you guys already got an early start. That's okay. Uh, we're going to spend over $2.5 on fireworks. I know a big chunk of that belongs to Pastor George. Uh, because of those fireworks, our air quality will decrease 42% on July 4th. 66% uh, of annual fireworks injuries happen within a month of July 4th. And over a thousand people will be visiting will be visiting the ER with fireworks related injuries. So happy birthday, America! Have fun and be safe. All right, listen, we're going to come back to America in the fourth in just a bit. But before we do, uh, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about um, uh, you know whenever I get a chance to to speak, I like to catch you guys up. My family, we just got back from our summer vacation, and it was our first. Um, as a, as a family, we normally go to the beach during the summer, and during the winter, we try to head up north, you know, uh, to the mountains. Uh, we switched it up this year, decided to go up north now in the summer, and listen, so glad that we did. We had an absolute blast. Actually, here's a picture of us doing some river rafting, right? Here we are. That's me. It's my wife, and uh, I appreciate the tepid applause. That's okay. All right. Um, now... This picture is at the end of our rafting adventure, okay? This is literally, like, we went down, this, this was, like, the heaviest of rapids were. We went down here, and five minutes later, we were on a bus headed back. Um, this is not the picture we imagined when we started, so I'm going to rewind a couple hours for you guys. So rewind a couple hours. We arrive, you know, to the location. We get checked in. And uh, get a rundown by how it's, you know, uh, you know, as far as you know, how everything's going to work. Uh, this guy, his name is Hunter. He is like the lead raft guide. So he's giving us all, uh, you know, the rule rundown, uh, the safety precautions. Everyone's got to wear a life vest 
helmets are strongly recommended, and then we get you know sent off to get all all set up. So as we're we're getting and collecting our vests, a raft guide has to check everyone's vest, make sure that it is on securely and properly. And my family and I, we get checked by Beth. Now I want you to remember that name, Beth. Beth is the raft guide that checked our vests, make sure we were ready to go, and. Beth is what you would call the, the grizzly veteran of this entire operation. She, she's been, you know, um, rafting down this river for over 20 years. She looks the part, right? She's got the bucket hat, the sunglasses. You know, her life vest is all weathered. It's got patches and stuff. Um, she secures our life vest and hands us our oars, right, our, our paddles. And we ask for, for helmets because they were strongly recommended. And she looks at us, she's like, are you guys going on your own or are you guys going with a guide? I'm like, listen, this is, this is the first time we're ever rafting down a river. We're going with a guide. She's like, listen, don't worry about it. You guys don't need helmets. You'll be fine. I'm like, if Beth says we don't need helmets, I'm cool with that. Who wants to wear a stupid helmet? Anyway, all right, so, so we take off. And two hours later, this picture is taken. So a couple important things to note, and I'll go in order. First. This was a family trip. I have four kids. Only two of the kids on this raft are mine. <laughs> These other two with the helmets, obviously they didn't talk to Beth. Um, that is Sawyer and Bleeker. I kid you not. Sawyer and Bleeker, they're, they're, they're from the area. Um, they were part of a rescue operation. They got picked up somewhere along the way when their two-person raft got hung up on a, on a rock. And, and they started to freak out, so we picked them up on the way. So that's where Sawyer and Bleeker come in the picture. Second thing I want you to notice is my son Danny on his head. That is not a helmet, nor is it a fashion statement. That is a bandage. Um, during the course of our trip, soon after picking up Sawyer and Bleeker, uh, a tree branch whacks him on the back of the head. Um, I want to get into how it just did. And when this happens, you know, like, you know, I see his face uh, immediately, and I'm looking at him. So I put my hand on the back of his, and I'm just like, please, just a chichong, like, nothing more. And, of course, the minute I remove my hand, there's blood on my fingers. He sees the blood. There's blood coming down his neck. So we've got to pull the raft over. The entire group pretty much beaches itself. So there's a you know, handful of, of rafts. And um, Hunter... The same guy who gave us all the safety things, you know, he was like the lead guide. He walks over from his boat, and he, he comes over to check in on Danny. And, and Sarah, who was our raft guide um, at the beginning, starts explaining what happened, you know, because Hunter's the leader. So she's got, hey, Hunter, here's what happened, you know. And, 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 um, and Hunter's like, oh, yeah, that branch came down about two weeks ago. A storm came by and knocked down part of the tree, and that branch has been hanging down ever since. As a matter of fact... That's the branch that gave Beth her black eye two days ago. Hey, Beth, why don't you show the kids your black eye? And from her boat, she's like, and completely shut, black and blue, Beth has uh, a black eye. Danny looks at me, and he's like, I guess we should have worn a helmet, right? So the third thing I want you to notice is that's not Sarah. That's Hunter. We picked up Hunter after Danny's accident after we picked up Sawyer and Bleeker. And uh, Hunter, as a lead guide, had to continue uh, to bring us down uh, the river just to make sure 
Danny was okay. And, and you see this picture, right? And when you see this picture without any of this information, you see a family enjoying life, having a great time, um, you know, sharing an amazing adventure. I see this picture, and I see the same thing, but with a little added context and understanding. See, I see this picture, right? And I'm reminded of the struggle it took to get here. I'm reminded of the fear and the danger, the rescue operation, uh, the taking on of a new guide and leader all the way to get us down the river for this one picture. And maybe you have a picture like this, right? A picture that doesn't do the story behind it any justice. Maybe it's a graduation picture that doesn't show the years of sacrifice and hard work it took to achieve that milestone and take that one picture. Or maybe it's a, you know, a couple's date night picture that doesn't tell the stories of, of mistakes and regrets and forgiveness and reconciliation. Or maybe it's the last picture that you took with a loved one that doesn't show the long, grueling battle with a sickness or disease. See, tomorrow we're going to celebrate the 4th of July, America's birthday. And the pictures are going to be hot dogs and fireworks and kids on the beach and families by the pool. But the pictures won't do the story justice because we're celebrating something bigger. We're celebrating the American dream. And I can't think of anything else that encapsulates the American dream more than the following sentence from our Declaration of Independence. What we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that's the last time I will say the word unalienable today, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the American dream. And at the heart of this declaration was a conviction that in order to be free, in order to enjoy these rights, we would have to separate ourselves. We would have to rebel and be independent from the tyranny and control of an earthly king. And yet the irony and the paradox is that in order for us to enjoy, experience, and embrace these three rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we can only do so not in independence of an earthly king, but in complete dependence upon a heavenly king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ. And you see, I believe that these men that wrote the declaration stumbled upon something, upon a truth, and a truth I want to share with you today, a truth that is way too big to be called American and way too certain to be called a dream. And that is this, that the American dream is God's promise. The American dream is God's promise. The American dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is God's promise to you and to me and to all of humanity. This isn't just a dream. It isn't something we have to just hope for, right? The right to life, the right to liberty, the right to pursue happiness is a guaranteed right given to us all by God. So to call it a dream just doesn't measure up. It doesn't do the picture justice. It's a dream realized, a dream fulfilled because we are promised life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and God's promises are real undeniable and available to all of us the only thing that can keep you from experiencing God's promise is you so today we're going to go beyond the idea of the American dream and embrace the reality of God's promise to you and to me and we're going to begin by looking at God's promise to your right to life so we're going to be in the book of Ephesians it's, it's in your outlines it's going to be on the screen behind me in just a second. 
uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. We're going to read the first three verses um, first and stop for a second. Uh, but it says this, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. And I want to stop here for a moment because there's an important setup. See, this is the why. Why do I need a right to life? The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to early Christian believers. So when Paul says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sins, he's speaking to those who are now alive, meaning they were once dead. And it's important to note and understand that his audience, just like all of us here today, had the same starting point, dead. And more specifically, spiritually dead. Dead in disobedience and dead in sin because we're all born sinners. We're all born with a sinful nature and a rebellious heart towards God. And Paul is saying when, when we're physically born, we entered the world spiritually dead. Physically alive, yet spiritually dead. I mean, right now in, in our children's ministry, right, the, the nursery, the pre-K room, the toddler room, from the tiniest all the way up, all your cute little babies, they're all by nature little sinners. Um, no one, listen, no one in there is teaching your kids how to lie. Uh, you know, we're not handing out little step-by-step -step manuals, uh, teaching them how to spit and bite uh, other kids. No one's singing songs, teaching your kids how to say no and mine. Listen, I, I have two little nieces, um, Isla and Avery. Um, Isla uh, turned six uh, earlier this year, and Avery uh, just turned three last week. So we're at Isla's birthday a few months ago, and, they, you know, my, my, my brother and sister-in-law had this dessert table set up. And, you know, a bunch of delicious treats, this one little basket with these Rice Krispie treats dipped in white chocolate like on a popsicle stick or like on a lollipop stick. And Avery, again, she's not even three yet, uh, she walks by and she grabs one and I see her grab one. I'm like, okay, obviously she's going to grab one. A little while later, I see her go and she grabs another. Now, everyone is focused on the other kids at the birthday party and no one sees this little, you know, barely three-year-old a third time go by and grab another one. I see her walking by a fourth time, and I'm like, all right, like no one's seeing this. I got to step in. So I walk on over, you know, as, 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 as the uncle, and I'm like, hey, Avery, um, I think we've had enough of those. And she looks at me with that Rice Krispie Treat pop in her hand. She looks at me dead in the eye, and she goes like this. <laughs> Turns around and walks away, no hesitation. Little sinner. Little <laughs> sinner. We are born into this world as sinners. And this world belongs to Satan. It belongs to the devil. In the passage we just read, it says, The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's Satan. That's the enemy. That is the devil. And his sole purpose is to destroy you and destroy your life. He wants to keep you spiritually dead, separated from God. And as long as sin rules your, your life, you remain that way. So, so this sets up the why. This answers the question, why do I even need this right to life? So we're going to continue reading, and we're going to pick it up in verse 4. 
But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Friends, your right to life is a gift from God. Your right to life is a gift from God. Again, we're, we were all born pre-wired uh, to the tr- distrust God. We were born enemies of God. We were born doubting him, not believing he is who he says uh, he is, maybe not believing in him at all or, or simply believing that he's out to get us. And no matter what, the result is sin. We do things God doesn't want us to do that make us enemies of God, and, and God has only one reaction to sin, and that reaction is to destroy it. So we're all born with this death sentence. So now what? Right? What can we do? Verse 4, those two amazing words, right? But God. But God. Because of his love for us, even though we were born sinners in rebellion towards him, even though we were born spiritually dead, he gives us life. And how? Through his son, Jesus Christ. It is a gift that has been bought and paid for. God sent his son, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice so that we may have life. God sent his son, Jesus, to take on our sin. It was the only way. Do we deserve it? No. But God. But God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. And all you need to do is believe and receive. Believe God is who he says he is. Believe Jesus is who he says he is. See, a dream is something you hope for. A promise is something that you believe in. It's not something you have to strive and reach for. In the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus himself declares this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy I have come that they may have life and they may have, have it more abundantly. Spiritual death only finds its antidote in Jesus. Our right to life, true, full, and abundant life is only attainable through and because of the death of Jesus. So your right to life is a gift from God. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't take credit for it. It is a gift, a gift from God. You just have to receive it, accept it, embrace it, and live it. See, the American dream is God's promise, and God's promise to you doesn't stop at your right to life. Once you believed and, and, and received God's gift of life, the question we all have to answer is, how are you going to live it? Right? How are you going to live that life? And that brings us to the second promise of liberty. We're going to be in John chapter 8, 30, uh, verses 31 uh, to 36. It says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So if you pause there and give me your attention, true Liberty is found in limited freedom. True liberty is found 
unlimited freedom. And when we talk about literary, li uh, liberty, we, we think it means freedom. We use the two uh, interchangeably. We define liberty as my freedom to do uh, whatever it is I want, my freedom from the, from the government to tell me what to do, my freedom from the constraints of other people telling me what to do. But two things. Number one, that's not what liberty means. And number two, that's not what you really want. You think you do, but you don't. You don't want total and complete freedom. If you have total and complete freedom, guess what? So do other people. And now you have a problem. Because let's face it, not everyone is as sharp as all of us here. Right? All you guys, you know, we're smart, we're good, we're caring, we're selfless people. We'll look out for each other, right? But out there, out there, there are people that do this. Okay? All right? And outside these walls, you're going to find people that do this. Right? How do people live like that? And people that do this. And put pineapple on pizza. You can't trust these people with total and complete freedom, right? Because someone always has to ruin it for the rest of us. Total and complete freedom would mean total and complete chaos. So we need some rules to protect ourselves from these people putting pineapples on pizza. So remember, we said two things total and about total and complete freedom. One, that's not what liberty means. And two, that's not what you really want. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 12, it says, All things are permitted for me, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, there's a danger in total and complete freedom. God warns us. You could do whatever you want, but it's not all good for you. I mean, you can go ahead and do whatever you want, but every action has its consequence. You want freedom to do whatever you want? Go ahead. But understand this, that what you do outside of God's will, design, plan, and purpose for your life is a sin. And Jesus says, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. And that does not sound like liberty to me. Jesus also says that the truth shall set you free. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're still just maybe checking things out, not sure if you believe uh, in God and, and in Jesus, not sure if you believe the devil uh, is real. This might be hard for you to grasp because there's, grasp because there's a, a progression, right? To, to be in a position where the truth can set you free, you must first believe and receive God's gift of life. So your liberty, your freedom from sin is going to be dependent on your response to that. So you have a decision to make. And my hope and my prayer is that you believe and you receive that gift. And for those of us that have believed and received God's gift of life, here's what I want us to wrestle with just a little bit today. Why doesn't it always work? Why doesn't the truth always seem to set us free? You're struggling with pornography, hiding it from your parents, from your spouse, from your kids, and it doesn't seem like the truth has set you free. You're gambling your family's future. You're lying and, and cheating at school or at work. And it doesn't feel like the truth has set you free. You're actively engaging in, in emotional and physical affairs outside of your marriage. Maybe you're moving in together, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, 
Now you're sleeping together, and it doesn't feel like the truth has set you free. You're coming to church, and you've got it all put together on the outside, and on the inside, you're still living in your past, full of regret, letting it shame you and guilt you into thinking that you're not just beyond saving, but you're not even worth saving. And it doesn't feel like the truth has set you free. The truth has set you free is like saying the lock will open the door. There's a key, but you have to learn how to use it. And you fumble around using all these different keys, keys of your own making, keys of your own doing. So what is it that we're missing? What are we missing? Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, what's happening is that we're expecting the promise, but ignoring the condition. And this promise comes with the condition. We must first abide in his word. This is where it starts. And, and abide simply means to remain in, uh, to, to hold on to, to hold fast to, to stay connected to. Um, a, a mountain climber uh, abides by the rope, keeping him from falling to his death. And when we abide in his word, Jesus says, you shall know the truth. And there are some things that we need to know in order to be set free. There are truths we need to know, we need to believe in and hold on to. And when we are living a life abiding in his word, right, holding on to, connected to his word, we are allowing his guidance and his instruction and his direction. He is showing us which key to use and how to use it. We are his, his truth is revealed to us, and we can be free. Now, we'll push back, right, because we always push back. I want my freedom. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live. I know the difference between right and wrong. I know better. Now, parents, let me speak to, uh, to parents in the room. How many of you allow your kids total and complete freedom, right? They do whatever they want. They wear whatever they want. They go wherever they want. They say whatever they want. They do whatever they want, okay? Now, this is you. You come see me after service. We can talk through some things. But my guess is if it's not all of you, it's pretty close to all of you, right? None of you allow this. You're doing it because you love your kids, you love your kids. You're doing it for their protection. You're not trying to limit their freedom. I mean, by the time they're teenagers, the last thing you want to do is limit their freedom. It's like, bye, fly, little birdie, fly free, out of the nest. You're not trying to limit their freedom. You're protecting them. The limits are there for their protection. That's what God wants for you. And he sent his son to prove it. He sent his, and he gave us his word as a guide. Look at what it says in Galatians 5, 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And this is the counterintuitive nature of, of walking with God, right? Because this is how you can check yourself. The freedom God gives you is not for your personal indulgences. God grants you his freedom to serve one another. So if you're not feeling the truth setting you free, take a look at who you're serving. See, true liberty sets us free from a life of fear and guilt and shame. And, and true liberty sets us free to live a life of peace and hope and joy. A life where the third idea of the American dream, the third promise of God is fulfilled. The pursuit of happiness. In John chapter 15, verses 9 to 11, it says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments 
and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Friends, if you want to be happy, seek to be holy. If you want to be happy, seek to be holy. In other words, the pursuit, your pursuit of happiness begins with the pursuit of, of holiness. If happiness is your goal, right, holiness is how you get there. If you want to be happy, seek to be holy. Happiness can, can be a controversial a word sometimes. It can mean different things uh, to different people. So I just want to be clear. I just want to be clear today. Happiness is, is self-contained. It's not dependent on what you have or what you don't have. It's not dependent on how things are going in your life. It is only dependent on who you know. See, the happiness I'm talking about is, is a full and lasting contentment regardless of circumstance. A contentment only God offers. And this is a happiness worth pursuing. And holiness, ho holiness simply means following the map that God gave you. Holiness simply means I'm going to do everything I can to live the way God wants me to live and not the way the world or society says I should. Holiness means set apart. You are set apart for God. Why then is this pursuit so difficult? Why is it so hard for us to know up here God has my best interest at heart? Yes, you know, making these decisions can cause pain and destruction for me, but I'm going to do it anyway because it feels good. And it feels right. Why do we do that? Why do we struggle so much? I think it's because we've equated happiness with pleasure. And not only have we equated happiness with pleasure, but we've accepted a lie in pursuit of that pleasure. That we don't really believe it's possible to walk through life without a little bit of pain. We struck a deal with ourselves and accepted a reality that all pleasure produces a little bit of pain. And we're okay with that. So our pursuit of happiness, or better yet, our pursuit of pleasure becomes pain management. How much pain can I endure to pursue this pleasure? Right? Like, you know, I, I want this stuff now. I, 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 really, I know I really can't afford it, but that's okay. I've got a credit card and I can live with the pain of a little more debt. You convince yourself that pleasure comes with pain. So you're just managing pain in the pursuit of pleasure. You know what causes pain? Sin. Sin hurts all the time. All decisions against God's will, desire, plan, and purpose for you hurt. It may hurt you. It may hurt someone else. But guaranteed, someone is getting hurt. Because all sin hurts. All sin causes pain pain. There is no victimless sin. All sin hurts somebody. All sin has negative consequences, whether it's physical or mental, emotional, relational. And we've just accepted it. We bought into the lie that all pleasure comes with pain. There's two verses I want to um, share with you um, as, we, as we close. Uh, the first one is in Proverbs 16.20 and it says, He who heeds the word wisely will find good and whoever trusts in the Lord happy is he and in Psalm 16 11, it says you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore see God sees us God sees you and says 
It doesn't have to be this way. You can have pleasure without the pain. It's, it's what I've wanted for you all along. The joys and pleasures of life free from the pain. If you would seek holiness in pursuit of your happiness. Make your decisions based on God's principles and, and not your uh, desires. This is a lifelong process, but it begins with one choice. It begins with one decision, right? It begins with one step. It's like, okay, God, I'm going to choose to pursue holiness in my path to happiness. I'm going to choose to obey you and not do what I think is going to make me feel good. I'm going to trust in your principles. I'm going to leave the results up to you. That's his plan. That's his whole purpose. He sent his son to give you life, to give you guidelines to protect you in this life in the hope that you would accept his gift and abide in his word and love and, 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 and you would walk through this life experiencing exactly what he wants for you. Truly knowing how to pursue happiness. So stop managing pain. If you would want to be happy, seek to be holy. I remember uh, Christmas when my kids were, were little. You know, not, not like babies, but not really um, old enough um, to, you know, make out a full Christmas list. So they're kind of in that age where you're really getting the gifts uh, for them. And, and my wife and I, you know, we'd go through so much trouble. We'd want to get them like that perfect, perfect gift. We'd do all the research, you know, talk to other parents, read articles, go online. Because uh, we just wanted to have the best and most perfect gift. And on Christmas morning, you know, we couldn't wait for them to open the gift that we selected and chose and purchased uh, for them. I mean, we'd be more excited than them opening the gifts. You know, we'd, we'd sit there and, and just wait for their, you know, for their reaction when they open the gift. Um, you know, because there's so much time and effort put into getting them that perfect gift. You see the look on their face when they finally opened it. It was priceless. It was priceless. And it's like, man, yeah, isn't that an amazing gift that I chose for you? Right? Aren't I a great dad? Um, you know, I really don't. I said that because by that time, you're probably thinking, wow, Santa got us a great gift. I'm like, yeah, Santa's a real good guy. And then you want to see them play with it. And you see them play with it, and you're like, oh, they're discovering it, figuring out how it works. And you're like, oh, man, I got them the perfect gift. Like, there is no other gift that I could have gotten them that, you know, it's going to have this impact on them. Then the day goes by, and they're in their rooms playing. And you kind of just walk by to see them playing, you know, with that gift in, in their room. And, and when you walk in, they're in their room, and they're playing. But the gift is over there in the corner. And over here, with the box and the wrapping paper and the styrofoam that's inside the box. And you're like, really? Like, if you wanted shipping supplies, you could have gone to the UPS store. It would have been a lot cheaper. Listen, chasing the American dream instead of embracing God's promise is like opening a gift. The perfect gift chosen just for you. And you end up playing with the box. Friends, don't miss the point. Don't play with the box. Don't miss what was planned. Don't miss what was uh, prepared. The gift that was designed and picked out just for you. The gift that such a high price was paid for. Just for you. Because you see, life is more than just living. Liberty is more than just being free. And there's only one source of true happiness. Stop chasing that dream and start embracing God's promise. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer today, that we would stop chasing and start embracing 
thank you. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for the gift of life through your son, Jesus. Uh, thank you uh, for, for freeing us from our sin and for freeing us from that death sentence. Thank you for a life of full and lasting contentment, a life complete and perfect with joy. Father, we ask for your help. You would help us to trust you. Help us to trust and, and obey your word. Father, you, you love us and, and you simply want to protect us. So help us, Lord. We, we want to abide in you, abide in your word, and abide in your love. And Father, we want to take that step towards you. So strengthen us to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.